Episode 173 with Tevis Trower. Fantastic conversation related to culture and leadership in the workplace. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Culture is critical. Uh, uh, creating and fostering a positive culture at work is something that's critical that, that most businesses struggle with. And if you're able to create a positive culture, it's really hard to maintain it. So creating it is the first step, and then maintaining and holding it and sustaining it is the second. And uh, both of those are very challenging. And that's why people like Tevis have made careers out of helping companies do better. Uh, with that said, everybody, please subscribe, follow, comment, like, review. The five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts continue to push the podcast out to other people. So if you're listening to this and you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you happen to have two seconds, a uh, rating would be much appreciated and uh, definitely does not go unnoticed. With that said, everybody, a fantastic conversation about business, culture, and leadership with the one and only Tevis Trower. The Optimal Life. fascinating so how do you as the CEO of balance integration how do you consult with all these companies I'd imagine you're pretty far away from civilization at least that's how it sounds (laughs) (laughs) well I think a lot of people who know Woodstock New York would say yeah (laughs) like like how how in the world can you possibly it's raggedly independent and I love that about it um the interesting thing is that um, that even pre-COVID, um, outside of facilitating workshops, people people didn't really want to hang out a lot, right? And um, so I got really good at um, clustering time, and I, I keep an apartment in um, the city and um, have a roommate there and and stuff but but I would cluster the FaceTime so that I wouldn't be driving two hours round trip every day um, to do clients because people are busy and for them to take time out to meet you face to face even pre-COVID was was kind of a luxury like you would do it maybe for the first meeting or, or to get to know each other and a lot of the magic of the relationship is set in those moments. Like those are still really important moments. And, and I don't know about you, Nate, but I miss getting together with people still because it's kind of just getting going again. But those moments when you can be with someone in person, there is just nothing like my ions bouncing off your ions, right? And Absolutely. There's just something so. Um, enlivening about being together and um i'm super grateful for all the times already it's now only june of 2021 but i'm super grateful um for all the times already that that i've been able to be with clients in person we got together um a major client is is a huge private equity firm and they are opening a new headquarters in the city and it's kind of funny because we all as a team got super excited to see each other and made this plan to get together and um the office the facilities people were like yeah they can't come 
Why? Based on all your... And we're like, we're your cultural consultants, KKR. That's the name of the company. We're like, we're your cultural consultants. We kind of need to see where you're moving into. And they're like, no, no one can come in unless they're... Um, they're like an employee or direct contractor. No one could come in. And but what was funny is we had gotten so excited about seeing each other and just breathing the same air. And I know that sounds bizarre, right? Because everyone's been afraid to breathe the same air for so long. But but you know what I mean. That um, that we got together anyway. I went down to the city. My colleague, um, she's a president of our small business division. She um, she hopped down there, and we just had a fabulous hour and a half, really not talking about work. And I really believe that it's those moments, it's those really human moments of, like, common values and just, like, shared, here's who I am, who are you, that all the magic happens, whether it's doing work together, whether it's planning something together, or none of that right whether it's just a minute a transactional minute with a barista where you, you you actually lock eyes and feel their humanity and they feel yours i feel like that's that's what makes life rich and um so i'm really grateful that that's back in the mix for all of us and um i'm going to be locking eyes a lot <laughs> Well, that's great. Yeah, thank, thankfully, I totally agree with you. The, the remote stuff, the technology, it's fantastic because it allows you to still have those interactions with your clients, with people all over the country, even all over the world. But as you said, you can't put a value on that in-person interaction, that face-to-face, that being able to shake somebody's hand. I've always found that uh, in sales, especially when, when I go and I meet somebody for the first time, it really it sets your relationship up for in perpetuity whereas yeah. if i meet that person on zoom it's nowhere near the same now if you meet somebody in person once and then you want to piggyback off and do dozens of zoom calls or whatever facetime yeah. and that those kind of things yeah that's that's very good but i, I totally, totally agree yeah, yeah yeah so so yeah. let me ask you let me ask you this what? optimizing corporate culture let i want to i want to get into the the meat of what you okay. do, of what you do um because we have a small business and culture is a, a, is the buzzword around our leadership t- tables, our leadership discussions for years. I mean, it never goes away. So my first question for you is why are, cult- why are positive cultures in the work environment so difficult to foster? Oh, that is like the best question. You get a gold star for that question. Why is it so difficult? Because it's so difficult for us as leaders to own our BS. Think about it, Nate. We craft ourselves our entire lives to be the one, right? To get the thing done, to rise, to deal with, to solve, to this, to that, to this, to that. But what what the what the Achilles heel is of culture is not the leader's brightness, always his or her shadow. And so few leaders have done their shadow work, have really looked at, gosh, where am I a control freak? Where does my ego get triggered? Where do I not trust people? Where am I not trustworthy, right? Where am I not transparent? Where do I... um, um, uh, 
be passive aggressive or manipulative and i think that 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 the core part of culture is that the culture is always going to reflect the spirit of the leader it just always is and what's so fascinating is that in huge companies right they just bring in oh we're going to hire a chief a chief cultural officer and they're going to make all these pesky people problems go away right (laughs) and that poor person has just been totally sold the line right and they've been hung out to dry because they can't compensate for poor behavior and a trickle-out effect of folks who have not done their work at the top and what i think is really um important to bear in mind is that culture exists anytime even one person is present, right? Because you create norms and you create flows and bases of uh, behavior, right, et cetera. And so for you to really look at the ripple out effect of you multiplied over people and people and people and people, you've got to look at first you, right? And um, so that's kind of my favorite thing to do these days. For a long time, I would work with... Um, with the collectives, right? I would work on programs and I would work on how do you design um, what you want the culture to be and and all that stuff. And I think that's really still very, very important work. But I'm also really clear that if the folks like you and I have not done the housekeeping, it's just window dressing. It's it's just not going to work. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, cu- cultures are so hard to find a consistent, positive atmosphere. I mean, you might have your little wins here and there, but to really create that that underlying fundamental, that feeling and the way that this is the way we do things, this is who we are, we, we feel good about ourselves. I mean, to, to maintain that is it's so very challenging for everybody I talk to. Um, and well, Go ahead. Well, the, the the thing that I found because um, because high performers are always looking for the win, right? Which means we want to know what the rules are so we can figure out how to win, right? Either by playing straight or finding a shortcut here or there, right? All those things. And um, part of what I've watched is that because we we think that way instead of asking ourselves how to navigate a lot of times we're looking for the goalposts right we're looking for the fence poles right we're looking to navigate according to some pattern we're trying to find a pattern how do i make this work how do i make this work how do i make this work and because that is all driven by extrinsic input right it's all driven by what do I see out there? What do I see out there? What do I see out there? It, it kind of shushes or negates any dialogue with yourself. What do I think? What do I feel? What feels right to me? Is this the right thing to me? What are my bottom lines of values, right? And when I start to work with especially high performers on this, the minute you turn a lot of the business skills or the thinking skills, right, that they have been applying to the world around them and say, okay, great. So all those amazing skills that you know how to strategize and think and plan, 
we're going to start to apply them to you. <laughs> it's really such a huge shift. And um, like like one guy I sat down with, he, he ran branding for Jack Daniels. I mean, he globally, right? I mean, he's, he's a heavy hitter. And um, it was so great because he said, I've been looking for the fence posts in this and I've realized it's all up to me. And it's... It's both scary and it's freeing, right? Because suddenly you realize, oh, no one else knows, right? Like, there's no one way. There's only my way, right? Yeah, but how, how, is the guy my who's, way. how is the guy who's in charge of branding it, Jack Daniels, how does that relate to, is he in a management position where he's got a whole team reporting to him oh, and, that's, and that's what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, hundreds of people. He, yeah. he ran branding for Jack Daniels globally, like yeah. hundreds of people, yeah. Yeah, so he's yeah. Uh, so you go in there. So what are the common things that you see? You go in, you help you not only help the the ownership of the companies or the the shareholders. You're also hoping you're helping the executive team, correct? Yes. So yes. it's you're you're talking to your leaders, the people that like you said at the beginning, these are the people that if they're not doing it, if they're not driving culture, if they're not doing things putting putting the stake behind the sizzle and and making sure that they're being heard they're open honest trustworthy transparent etc uh and you come into these companies and you see that they're struggling or they're lacking in these areas what are some of the things you guys are doing well uh first and foremost you've got to have um an engaged um senior stakeholder it usually has to be the president or ceo or very proximate um to to understand that the problem is not a programmatic one, um, or perhaps it is programmatic, but but you don't start there, right? That you have to get into the foundation, right? You gotta get into the roots of what the issue is. Um, and that's a tough thing because um, a lot of leaders, insofar as they could hire or fire whoever is there, you and I both know, right, when, there's a small cohort of folks with the C title and they're accustomed to working with each other. Um, there can be some really bad apples and unfortunately bad apples can spoil the whole bunch. Um, it's poison, um, to a culture. Uh, but a lot of times the CEO is just hoping that, that, that with the right policy or the right this or the right that, that, somehow whatever the toxicity is playing out that it's going to go away i saw this we did a um, huge um, cultural study for a global sports organization and they have three initials which a lot of them do so i'm gonna leave you guessing <laughs> <laughs> but we okay. did this um huge um study and we talked to all the vps all the svps all the people exactly under the C-suite, and what we learned was that in spite of having a guy at the top who was really committed, you know, to culture and said all the right things, right, and I call this heads nodding, right, when when folks are saying all the right things and they like the idea of uh, what I would call a healthy culture, right, they like all the ideas of it, um, the reality was that throughout the C-suite, there was a lot of really bad, bad behavior. And their VPs and SVPs um, were using words that, uh, you know, through 
<laughs> through these focus groups, I was like, wow, you guys are angry and you're fearful and you don't trust them. I, I mean, it's just, it was um, a cesspool of really a lot of unworked through work grief. And, um, and I think that, that that's what I'm saying about having a leader who's not afraid of his own shadow because if he's worked through his um, shadow, then the shadow of the organization is not going to scare him or her. But when so, but is there are there times that you come across these employees and they may be they have a perception of management or leadership or of the company as a whole, and they think that things might be dire. They think that people don't care about them, that they don't know what's going on. Do you ever see that the employees might not necessarily know, maybe because just of a lack of communication from the C-suite? Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. But I think that's why um, so many of the unconscious assumptions that most of us have been raised um, about what is a leader and how much information do you share and how do you communicate and how do you um, not only share, but how do you listen, right? I think a lot of the kind of unconscious archetypes that a lot of us have grown up with said, oh no, leaders don't share. They, they, they direct, right? They have the information, they give people just as much as they need, not too much because you don't want to distract them, right? Um, you don't want to be vulnerable because they can't know that, right? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's one of those assumptions. The other one is that, um, that they speak first, right? That's not uh, that's not actually a leadership trait, right? There's there's absolutely a moment to speak to set the tone, but most great leaders I know are amazing listeners. Yeah, because, yeah. because they're only one brain. If they get multiple brains around them communicating to them, how much smarter are they? One hundred percent. It's just, it's just such a duh. And we all nod heads. I know that your smart listeners who want optimal lives, right, are nodding their heads. But the question is, do we do it? No, because we walk into a room and our desire to be valid and our desire to feel safe and all that kicks in and we just start blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so are these the types of tips and techniques and these are the types of things that you're digging into with each of your clients? Assessing yeah, the well, yeah. Um, first, we like to look at what's really going on here, um, and then you got to pressure test your your client. You got to say, "Here's what's really going on. Here's what we suggest should happen." Um, and usually, it's spending a lot of time with those who are most influencing the culture. Now, um, this works when that person gets that nothing is going to thrive um, or flow as well as it could, let's put it that way, um, in the absence of them actually changing, right? People people talk about change. Um, they either say, I like it, I don't like it. The question is, are you doing it, right? And so, so a lot of what we like to look at is, okay, um, if you want the culture to change, you have to change. Mm. at the top uh, period so so I know everyone's in love with why right we all love oh why what's your why right I <laughs> see people on um, 
on um, on LinkedIn and stuff, they post their why. Yeah, right? that's, that's, like, the, that's the new buzzword. Well, that's cool. That's cool, right? That's cool. I mean, it's kind of flavor of the month, right? We had BHAG um, years ago from um, from Jim Collins, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Yeah, like, yeah. all of it's good because all of it invites us to remember um, what matters to us, and I think that's cool. But I think for leaders, there's two other really important questions, and that is who the heck are you really right who and two how how do you bring that alive every day how do you bring your why alive every day how does how does that show up in going to work every day and how you treat your kids when they're having a tantrum and what happens when you lose the deal right when um the market's up the market's down like like let's look at those hows Right, and and those are the kinds of questions that 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 we like to ask because people aren't asking them in general, right? We get so um, I think selective attention on whatever the crisis du jour is, and multiple crises in many cases. Um, but I feel like really that that big picture reflection. And then designing some awareness practices um, to habituate a more skillful way of navigating um, human relationships and business relationships is really key. Yeah. And it's key to our planet. It is. uh, To be honest. It is, Tava. So let me ask you, plain and simple, what is your definition of a great leader? I think one who knows him or herself completely, um, who uses the full scope of their talents, knowledge, and skills, um, not only to achieve something, but to help others, right? Because we hear leadership and we think, oh, achievement, but, but lead who, right? Like, if it's a leader, then you got to be leading somebody, Right, and so, so I think that once they know who they are, and they assess the fullness of what they bring to the table, then they either bring in others, or they um, they work with who's already present um, to advance the goal, not through manipulation and not through simple infrastructure and hierarchy. But actually, by calling forth that same optimal um, contribution, to go back to your word, um, that I use a lot in my book, ironically, but but they they are optimizing themselves around a goal, and they help others to optimize themselves around a goal. And I think that's really what leaning is, um, but, is doing so how, it from how, how a generative you, approach as opposed to command and control. Yeah, so how do they help others? How do they help others follow in their footsteps and take take the bull by the horns? Because there's a tremendous difference between leadership and management. And you could be a manager, uh, and you could be a good manager for that, for, but but you doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good leader. And a manager is one who's going to delegate. They've got tasks, task-oriented, deadlines, etc. 
Um, but how does, you mentioned the leader knows himself or herself, and then they pull others up and lift others up. But how? How are they doing it? Well, it's funny because you brought up the question of, you know, the manager and being able to delegate and all that. Um, and in my mind, a leader is not giving the answers. A leader is asking the team what they think, right? Mm. A leader is inviting that person to find the solution because that's when you're going to get the discretionary um, time, effort, attention, creativity, problem solving, right? So, so to me, it's not just a compassionate or an empathetic or a conscious leader. It's really a coherent leader that that is going to call forth from his or her people. Yeah, there are going to be tasks that have to be done, et cetera. But when we're talking about advancing an organization, I don't think a leader so much is going to just show people how it's done. I think they're going to invite people to ask themselves how they would do it and then help coach them and help encourage them and motivate them towards growing into that right um leaders create leaders create safe spaces for empowerment yeah i mean you just put it in like five neat tidy words yes um i think leaders create safe um space for contribution leaders create safe space for um Creativity for risk taking, um, for um, experimentation, right? Uh, they create um, an environment where doing your best isn't just words; it's literally your best. And um, through that, I feel like that's that's a great sign that you've got trust present, you've got engagement present, right? And and to me, this is really about alignment. Um, and how do you align your team um, such that their absolute most optimal output is possible? You also talk a lot about how trust is key. Obviously, once the trust is lost, nobody's going to be following you. No one's going to be taking the taking the hill on your behalf. So, you you mentioned quite quite often that there are no secrets so can you elaborate on that a little bit more when you're talking about trust between yes, leaders leaders and their employees such an interesting thing i remember um i, I was doing some uh, consulting at bloomberg um and there was a change at the top and um all of a sudden i was coaching a bunch of high performers there And these were just awesome people. I mean, just every one of them to the last person, extremely motivated, extremely passionate about the company, Um, just real believers, right? And there was a change in leadership. And what was interesting was nothing had really been communicated about a policy shift or an attitude shift, but all of a sudden all my coaches started expressing fear and it wasn't because of, of, of just kind of knowing that a change was happening it was more in their gut they knew that they were not safe 
They knew that whoever was coming in was um, not going to value the people who were there already. They knew that their roles weren't safe. Um, the relationships weren't safe. And while this was never expressed or said overtly, people know what's going on. And I, I started to tell the folks that had brought me in, I was like, you got a big issue going on. That the way I put it was fish can smell blood in the water. They don't have to see it. Right, they they know when when something's happening. We can all feel it, and we may ignore it. We may try and make ourselves busy or whatever, but we know when when we are not safe and we should not trust. Um, so, so you're saying that if there's when the leadership team is trying to hide something for lack of a better word yeah. uh, odds are the the rest of the company already knows what's going on and instead uh, of and instead yeah. of trying to hide it and trying to shove it under the rug just come clean yeah. come clean you'll you'll earn respect yeah come clean come clean when you don't know the answer come clean when you're scared um come clean when you're um when when something is happening and you're not sure what the outcome's going to be. I mean, um, there are mirror neurons throughout our bodies, and you have to think about that organizationally as well, right? The organization is a big mirror neuron, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for, for, for us to think that we can somehow, by omission, save save face or preserve some kind of a false identity. I mean, didn't you see the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Did I that did tell you time. nothing? Right? I, I forgot about that. It's been so long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. You, you also talk about um, how high performers stunt engagement of others at work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. It's that whole the superhero syndrome, right? Um, that that you've got someone who overfunctions, and um, what does that do for everyone else, right? It's, oh, step aside, I'll take care of this, right? And um, the psychology of that is, is we love to overperform, or maybe we don't trust others to get the job done, or maybe we love the attention, we love the control, etc. Well, think about think about Superman, right? Um, if Gotham's in trouble, or was um, Superman Metropolis? I always forget. But um, but if Gotham's in trouble, then then the townspeople all run outside and they're they're hoping Superman will show up. Well, if there's no Superman, then everyone's got to get involved. And um, so the number of ways in which um, those who are, what well, you could actually say control addicts, performance addicts, I mean, I, there's, there's a lot of ways to spin that, but um, the other kind of, the repercussion of it is that because there's no um, invitation to contribution, people start to feel that they're prospects are limited within the company and they may even start to feel like there's no way that they can ever contribute so they may start to look for a new job even though they're needed right so so there's 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 a number of ways that that can it can really handicap and i think 
a good leader's going to watch for it because that kid in the front row with the apple for the teacher is only one part of the class. Um, And a good leader is going to look at the entire classroom and say, how does each student, each contributor, each worker uh, fit into the mosaic of what we're trying to get done here? But, But the leader doesn't necessarily want to eliminate that high performer. Oh, no, you absolutely don't. But you want to be able to channel what they're doing in such a way that it's not having a boomerang effect on the culture. And a boomerang effect meaning that other people start feeling a lack of initiative because the Superman is just going to take over. Yeah, yeah Superman's going to take over. It's kind of funny. I was doing a gig with um, with Morgan Stanley, and it was during the financial crisis, and they brought me in to... Um, to talk to their team about calm through conflict and uh, behind the door right and the meeting preparing for this we were talking about what was going on and they said well we're really vulnerable because because one guy has written all of our code and he's kind of a misanthrope and um, no one else knows it as well as him Mm. Okay, use that as a metaphor. He is the high performer. He is the one who's putting in the 20-hour days, even outside of crisis, right? Um, Writing all the code, doing all the algorithms for their global wealth management, right? Um, So that's exactly the conundrum that you're talking about, right? That, that, That you have made yourself weak because of your highest performer. So you want to avoid that. Yeah, and ways to mitigate that, obviously, are number one, just transfer of knowledge, process, procedure, documentation, those kind of things in case a high-performer superhero gets hit by the bear truck tonight. Um, we can yeah. pick up where we, where we left off. Well, well, that's what being proactive would look like. A lot of times people aren't paying attention. They keep saying, I know I need to get around to that. I know I need to get around to that. But then there's this blip or there's this crisis or there's this curveball or there's this, that, and this, that, and this, that. All that stuff takes time. And it takes crucial conversation. It, it, It takes the willingness to talk to this high performer, right? And this is what I'm saying. This goes back to the sports organization with the three, three letters in their name, right? Um, a lot of times our leaders are so frightened of stepping into that dark zone of a difficult conversation with someone they rely upon, right, that that it really begins to have toxic impact on the culture, as it did at Morgan Stanley, as it did at the sports organization, et cetera. And I'm willing to bet all of us have a superman on our team or maybe we act like a superman right and we're having a toxic um kind of a ripple out on the organization like all of us have one of these people that we really depend on and they're just a superhero to us but what does it do to the rest of the organization either by control of knowledge by control of resources by um, bad, um, bad interpersonal skills. I mean, there's there's all kinds of ways 
that our superheroes can secretly also be a foe. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. I, I'm I'm going to go with IMG. That's my guess since they're located here in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> but who knows? There's a few others. Exactly. <laughs> There's a few others, but uh, I've got a thought-provoking question for you before we wrap this thing up. Yeah. Um, so you've got a CEO and a COO. Uh, yep. And I'm just coming up with this example while I'm listening to you talk. Okay. What? So let me preface it. I want to know, in your opinion, which one of these two is worse for an organization? And then I'll give you their background. You've got a CEO who's the quote-unquote leader, and you've got a COO who's the quote-unquote manager. So, and I know this is a tough one, and this is a blanket question, but give me your analysis. Of the two, if you've got the CEO who... Um, lacks an understanding of his or her business, who lacks uh, the ability to lead by example, who doesn't really even care to lead. He's just, he's the, fig he's the figurehead and that's who he is. Versus the COO who is a micromanager, has a hostile attitude and uh, maybe it, by default kind of, um, it doesn't promote initiative. If you had to, Give us an explanation. Which one of those two is worse for the organization? And why? Gosh, this is such a good little pop quiz. <laughs> um, so acknowledging that this is incomplete information, um, I think they're, they're both equally bad. The question is... If I could only fire one, um, who would I fire? Yeah, if you're the board of directors and you have the final say. Okay. Yeah, um, the one I would fire would would the one I would fire first would be the CEO, um, acknowledging that the COO um, under solid leadership because the the CEO is not being a leader. You said he doesn't care. He's a figurehead, and he's happy being that way. He doesn't want to care. Um, the organization can't flourish if he's there, no matter what. It just mm, can't. Right. Um, so I would get rid of him first, knowing that if you get a real leader in there, that the COO is going to have the pressure to either make some changes him or herself or they're going to be out the door as well. That is so. perfect. That is, I, I totally agree with that. But yeah. I don't think there's a right yeah. or wrong, but I totally agree with that, that thought process. It's, it, it's really tempting. I love it that you use that that little pop quiz that you came up with. Though. <laughs> it's really tempting to say, oh, it's okay if we have a bad monarch. Right. As long <laughs> as we have a good parliament. Right? <laughs> exactly. It's like... It's so tempting to say, well, yeah, but it's so-and-so who we deal with every day and who's driving policy and norms, so let's just get rid of him. But, but like, when you think about an organization, I actually believe in the inverted triangle, right? That the CEO, the point is the foundation of the entire organization, right? Mm, I like that. And yeah. that, 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 that everything rests on the wholeness, the integrity, the coherence of that person at the top. And if that's not in place, you've got a fundamental fault line um, that, that, yeah, you can't ignore. So, 
The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success, Tevis Trower. Check it out. We'll link it up in the show notes. That's her book. You can get it uh, on Amazon or anywhere. We'll, we'll link. We'll find the link for that. And uh, before we finish off, where else can people find you online? You can find me on Facebook, um, both with my first and last name and at Balance Integration. I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn. I do a pretty much weekly live stream called The Game Changer Chats, and they're simulcast across YouTube. LinkedIn, Facebook, and I just like to sit down with people who have crafted a life on their own terms, and um, and they're kicking butt, and they're being true to themselves at the same time, and I find it really inspiring, and uh, so I like to have these kinds of conversations with them, so oh, check me out. I think we have some kind of freebie for you guys. Um, I think it's a free chapter, so... That'll be fantastic. Click, click, click. We will link you up in the show notes. And uh, guys, if you happen to be in the in the New York State Mountain areas, Woodstock, yes. uh, maybe out at the beach because you might catch Tevis uh, surfing one day. She likes snowboarding. She's got a dog. She does it all. You know, she's she's a busy lady. <laughs> I play out guitar. There. And guitar. I'm, yeah. I'm leading a retreat in July, a two day retreat. If you want to get super grounded and spend a bunch of time in nature, I've got a good friend of mine's a 70-year-old Lakota, Central American, Siberian shaman, and we're going to spend a bunch of time wow, in the woods. that sounds so fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys can check her out, balanceintegration.com, Tevis at balanceintegration.com if you want to hear more about the retreat and anything else. Hey, uh, really appreciate it. This was a, a fun conversation, and let's stay in touch. Thanks so much, Nate. I really enjoyed it.